2: Welcome in to episode 233 of the Natural trick Podcast, alongside Jamie
1: Eisner,
0: the Natty head,
2: and Craig Morgan. Are you there?
0: Hello,
1: Governor.
2: Craig Morgan is here. I'm Luke Lipinski. Craig is calling in from Raleigh, North Carolina. <laughs> way, way to say it like a robot. Uh, how are you doing out there, Craig? How's, how's, how's this road trip
1: treating you? it's been pretty easy so far, actually. Two stops in Florida, which is not a bad place to be. I saw some family, saw some friends. And now we're in Raleigh.
2: (laughs) It's just ready for the trip to end, apparently. Uh, Okay, we are going to start. We got a lot to get to today. We're going to try and keep this relatively condensed. I want to start with the uh, athletic story that somebody sent us, actually, and then Craig just forwarded over to us. By Justin Bourne, who I will say is one of my favorite uh, hockey media people out there, but the the gist of the story i don't see if i can find the exact headline it, the gist of the story is basically why the coyotes should trade taylor hall and i read They're it trading him yes we we yes. all we all read it um, i didn't find any reason to believe that they should trade taylor hall did you guys
1: well i first of all uh, i think part of the premise is that taylor hall is not going to re-sign here because this team isn't ready to win a cup and you can make some arguments there, um, but I, I did chat with his agent for a very long time, and uh, he, he raised some points. He, his agent told me it's a very real possibility that he could resign here. But, but I guess the other thing that I would say about this story, I, I think there is a, uh, there's an argument to be made for this premise, but I don't think it comes now. Taylor Hall hasn't played enough games with the Coyotes to even gauge how he's going to impact this team, how he's going to fit with this team. And that was a big reason the Coyotes got him when they did. They wanted to evaluate him over a large chunk of games to see how this marriage might work out. We have a long time before the trade deadline. I don't think we have a good sense of that yet. I think when you bring a new player in, there's always going to be an adjustment period. Now he's produced, maybe not as much as, he might down the road, but he's produced pretty well. he's created offense, he's been a play driver uh I just think it's way too soon to even be thinking about something like this.
0: yeah, the timing's what struck me is weird because look, there is a scenario where let's say the coyotes go on a you know a three twelve and one stretch, and all of a sudden they're. There are six or eight points back of a playoff spot in this hypothetical scenario. And then you're going, well, if you're not overly confident that you're going to re-sign Taylor Hall or that he's just going to test the market regardless of where he goes anyway on July 1, then you could try to get some assets to recoup what you – because you really didn't give up that much relatively in terms of prospect-wise. Maybe you can recoup some prospects. But writing that now makes very little sense that the trade happened, what, three weeks ago? He's have played yeah. eleven games with yeah. the Coyotes. Like it, it's a very weird, weird timing for that to be there now. And and you know not to put on a tinfoil hat or anything. But I feel like that's an article that doesn't get written about many teams, and unless you are the Arizona Coyotes, like if he gets traded to. T- one of twenty-five other teams; those articles don't come out of.
2: And definitely seven north of the border. That's what's weird. I, I, there's certainly that element to it, but I also think maybe you don't appreciate what Taylor Hall has done for this team if you're not watching the Coyotes on a, re- a regular basis. But he's clearly made Oliver Ekman-Larsson better. The Hall himself has been good. Yeah, they what are they? They're six and five since they got him. They also don't have their number one goalie, and for a couple games in there, didn't have their number two goalie either. I just. There's this perception, and maybe he doesn't stay, but there's this perception that, oh, he'll never go there. He wants to go to Montreal, and maybe that, that plays out. But I I have not gotten the feeling, and Craig, you can correct me if, if you think I'm wrong, but I have not gotten the uh, impression from Taylor Hall that he's already decided he's not staying. I think he wants to see if this team can win. I know there's parts of this team he liked before he even started playing for them. And if this team gets into the playoffs and wins a round or two, I think it's very possible he stays. And I know the Coyotes want him
1: yeah I, I agree with all of that. um They also don't have Nick Chalmerson who's going to be coming back very soon, and that will impact things as well um i The other premise in the story was that yeah, the, you know the coyotes aren't a team that's going to spend to the cap. well, they're spending to the cap right now. they are a cap team. Things have changed since Alex Morello came on board, and I'm not sure if if everybody is fully aware of the impact he's had from on the financial aspects of the coyotes but They're not that team that can't spend anymore. They can spend and they are spending. So when you look at the possibility of bringing Taylor Hall back, I don't think the money is going to be an issue aside from the fact that the Coyotes have to figure out a way to fit him in under the ceiling because they are so close to the ceiling.
2: Yeah, that's a great point. I think the the perception of the Coyotes out there, even before this trade, was still that they're... By some people, they're just trying to get over the cap floor. And by other people, that maybe this is something they're doing for this season. And then they're going to go back to being towards the, the bottom of the league and salary. Like you just said, the, the only reason money's an issue for them in terms of resigning Taylor Hall is they have to get creative because they've already spent too much essentially. So I, I just, I'm with, I'm with Jamie in the sense that it doesn't make a whole lot of sense timing wise for this. You know, if, if you, if you swing a trade and you deal Taylor Hall, do you get slightly better prospects than what you gave up? I mean, maybe, but they're unknown commodities. And I don't know what sort of message that sends to your locker room either, where you're like, oh, yeah, we gave you guys two weeks and um, you didn't win the cup in early January. So we gave up on you because that's basically on some level the message you're
1: sending, isn't it? Yeah. Yeah, go ahead, JB. <laughs> yeah, I think I've said enough on this
0: one. Yeah, it just it just the timing is weird. It doesn't it doesn't make a lot of sense. It almost seems like look, the reality is if you're gonna make that move now, you never make the trade to begin with. Like there's there's absolutely to me, there's no reason after eleven games, given the fact the carries are still in first place in the Pacific, they're six and five with Taylor Hall, and he's played pretty pretty darn good for them so far. And you figure it'll get better if anything. You, you would assume there's really no reason. Like if you're gonna make the trade in the first place, there'd be no reason to make that trade now.
1: You're not, yeah. and I don't know that Justin is suggesting trading him right now. It, I mean, it could be, you know, this is what they should consider at the trade deadline. But again, we get a lot of time before the trade deadline. A lot can happen between now and then. And that was what the Coyotes were planning for. They wanted to see what would happen between
0: now and then. Yeah, and look, the, the timing is weird because you do it then, or you do it immediately when the trade was made, saying okay, but if this, then that type of a deal with it. It just feels like this is like a weird in-between time to what I thought out there.
2: They didn't make that deal to then swing a second deal and slightly upgrade Nate Schnarr into something else. That was not. That was not the driving force behind trading for Taylor Hall. And there is excitement around this team now. Even from people that aren't necessarily Coyotes fans locally that are just sports fans, there's a lot more excitement when you bring in a guy that just won league MVP a year and a half ago, and they are also tied for first place right now, and they've been doing it without their number one goalie. So, like I said, Justin Bourne's one of my favorite hockey media personalities out there. I'm not I'm not trying to bash him, but just the uh, the the concept here I don't I don't really I don't get it. Um, all right, let's get to some of this other stuff. Let's start with the uh, the Predators firing Peter Laviolette. Hiring John Hines, that is the 13th team to make a coaching change since the end of last season. That's almost half the league.
1: That's crazy. But what he did... By by this time next season, Rick Tocket will be
0: like top five in terms of tenure. (laughs) It's true. It's it's weird. He might be there in March. But, Um, But more importantly, though, is when you make a coaching change like that, you expect getting like a boost to your team maybe get some scoring from unexpected places oh.
1: uh, Craig you do you want to comment? This ahead of time?
2: Uh, no Did but we, this ahead of time? we were both on the same page because I was reaching for the bell if Jamie didn't
1: okay and you also brought free pastries in on a day when I'm not there well
0: oh, they were they were free to lose. is that correct?
2: yeah Jamie brought them in free credit Luke. to Jamie they were delicious yeah huh that's, that's, that's neat how's Raleigh? <laughs>
0: Yeah. <laughs> well, to be fair, Craig, if you were here on uh, pastries, if if oh. you if you were here and in studio, we would have allowed you to bring us pastries. Yeah. So that's it's
1: okay. Yeah, see, you
2: can do it next week. That's fine. Um, okay. yes, Chicago's defense is so bad now that they're letting opposing goalies score on them. That's that's the headline here.
1: <laughs> oh, it happened while I was on the plane. By the way, Oh, well, lucky I you. Thought, of course, it happened to the
0: Blackhawks. Of course, it happened <laughs> to the Blackhawks. Uh,
1: that's outstanding. But
0: it's really cool, right? Goalie goals are cool. This is the first one since Mike Smith. Yeah, what, 12th one in NHL history or something?
2: Even that number seems high. Yeah. For a second, I thought Canada's goalie in the World Junior Championships was trying to close out the championship game by doing this, but that didn't happen. Um, I guess let's talk World Juniors here since we we just stumbled into that topic. Barrett Hayton, pretty good tournament despite the injury. (laughs)
1: Yeah, he had. I, I just wrote a story on this, and it, he, when, you have to, when you talk about great scripts, I, I can't imagine a better individual script than what he went through at World Juniors between Helmet Gate, the injury, and then that game tying goal and winning gold medal. Uh, he he really ran the gamut. <laughs> it was it was pretty spectacular, and to see him, I, I don't know. I guess I guess to see him move past both the helmet thing and the injury, show up for them, not just show up for them, because that probably would have been enough to cement his place and. Canadian Hockey Award, but then he scores that enormous goal to tie up the game with a, just a, a wicked wrist shot with with a bum shoulder. It was quite a script. As John Trika said, that's pretty much the way you draw it up.
0: And, and it's really encouraging to see him have that success this year because we sometimes as fans or even analysts fall into this trap with prospects across the sports world where we fall in love with them and then if they have any sort of adversity or maybe they don't play quite as much in their rookie seasons we t- the tendency is to just completely downgrade them again. I think we were starting to see that a little bit with with people talking about Barrett Hayton and where he should go. So seeing that high level of production again is a, is a good little reminder of what the future holds at that position for the Coyotes.
2: Yeah, I mean the World Junior Championships is is the biggest stage he could perform on this year other than then consistently delivering at the NHL level. I I was already pretty confident in his future. I, I think uh, you have to be even more confident if your opinion changed at all through that tournament. Although that tournament overall for the Coyotes, I mean, losing Jan Yennick, not that the Coyotes lose him, but he loses a decent chunk of however long it's going to be here where he could be developing. So that was that um, right. that was that was sort of a mixed bag. At the start of that tournament, you could make a case the Coyotes had three of the top, I don't know, 10 players in that tournament with Soderstrom and Yenick and, uh, and Barrett Hayton. But uh, for Hayton...
1: Yeah. Matthias Michelli had a great tournament. Team. Yeah, he really did.
2: Um, for Hayton, though, to have the injury against Finland that looked like it was going to be, when it happened, it looked like he could be out for a while, and he comes back what twenty four hours later and, and ends up, like you said, Craig, being a big part of the win. Anytime you captain Team Canada and they have success, that's a pretty good sign for uh, for the future.
1: Um, the also you know, before before we leave Haten, uh, I can't help thinking you know he's he's back with the Coyotes. He's he's with the team now, and he's going to be rehabbing for a little while. Obviously going to be out until at least after the all-star break um, with this grade one separation. But when he comes back and I, I don't know what the situation is going to be at Ford. I don't know who's going to be healthy at some point. I just feel like I want to see it. I want to see him play with Taylor Hall at some point and just see what happens. Just give it a look. Even if it's just in a practice to get it, get some sense of what they might look like together. I'd love to see that experiment at some point.
2: Well, I think they probably will, won't they? I mean, I hope so. Hall's line has been has been uh, largely productive, or even in the game against Tampa Bay, which I think you probably throw out if you're the Coyotes in terms of evaluating your team. Um, even in that that game, they really had the only chances, or Hall, I should say, had the only chances. But yeah, Hall Hall with Hayton is is certainly uh, something that I want to see here at, at some point down the line.
0: Or they just trade Hall and then there's yeah. a spot for Hayton. But you to, just uh, trade to Hayton right
2: too, right? I mean, just just trade yeah. them all. Uh, all-Star last man in balloting is today, and the All-Star jerseys are out. Um, they are. Obviously designed in such a way to appeal to the Craig Morgans of the world. So we'll start with Craig. How do you feel oh, about those jerseys?
1: Do we have to do this? You did this on purpose, didn't you?
2: Yeah, everything you I do just, on purpose. You just
1: set me up all day today.
2: This is why you shouldn't leave town.
1: I guess so. <laughs> I, you, so you want my opinion on clothing? Yes. yes. Is that what you're telling me? You? Absolutely. You're, you're
2: a fashion icon.
1: Uh. Well, I uh, mm, I, I. don't know. I think everybody I doesn't have, have any opinion. I, they just yeah, look I very, don't have any opinion. They look bland.
0: Yeah, they're... they're bland, dumb. yes. They're, they're dumb. <laughs> I would agree
2: with that. They look bland. <laughs> Wait, let's go to our fashion correspondent, Jamie Eisner. Jamie? <laughs> no, look, the whole point of doing they're these, dumb.
0: The whole point of doing this is you're just making more crap to sell to people. So at least make it... <laughs> cool looking or fun looking or exciting or flamboyant crap instead of just
2: blah. They look like practice jerseys. Yeah. Basically or they look. I, I, it's it's a, a
0: marketing gimmick just so livid. Like why what, the, what does these jerseys do for anybody? You're just trying to sell. You're just trying. You're begging people to go online and give you money for them. Yeah. So just make them those. as goony and weird as possible.
2: They um, the person that showed them to me at first. She was like these you're going to hate these. And so I thought they were going to be like diamond studded or whatever just like way over the top sequins everywhere whatever and they're just i i told her like just playing rec league hockey around phoenix our jerseys are more elaborate than those
1: they only look good the ones in uh 2015 where they look like uh you know they went to the oregon ducks and had them design them the greens you remember those yeah yeah i was was at least okay with that because it, it was it was it was kind of funky actually but these are just yeah these are dull just and that's all i have to say about uniforms
2: it's for Basically one weekend, so take a chance with it. And if it looks horrendous, then we forget about it. But this, we've already forgotten about it before the game even starts. (laughs) Uh, Justin Williams is back, and he signs with the Carolina Hurricanes, where Craig Morgan is in Raleigh right now. Do you have him on the line, Craig? I do not. We're
1: supposed to have dinner later. Okay. That that
2: makes sense. No, not really. Since there's a game tonight. Not at all. Um, Well, I
1: I figured he'd just wait and sign for Game (laughs) 7 of the first round. He could
2: have. Well, that's why they signed him, right? They figure they're going to the playoffs, and there's not a whole lot of better players to have in a game seven, certainly, than Justin Williams.
1: Yeah, Carolina's right on that bubble right now. There, uh, there are a few teams. That's shockingly, Columbus is one of those teams that's that's in this thing right now. So, I mean, I, I would guess that they signed him for a little more than that. They're hoping for a little kick from him, maybe in the dressing room as much as on the ice. But uh, they're they're trying to make a push right now because they they I would say they've slipped, but. The uh, the bottom of the Eastern Conference is a little more competitive than I expected, or e- we even discussed maybe last week on the podcast when we thought it was basically a nine.
0: Yeah, and it, look, it's it's interesting for a number of reasons. One, all the, the whole list of incentives that he has in this contract are extremely interesting, all the way down to winning the con Smythe. Uh, but also, mm-hmm. it's interesting in the sense that who they kept him away from, because we heard we heard some reports that Toronto as one of the teams that made a big push to try to sign him. Uh, at, at, I guess out of the retirement that we all knew was going to end midseason, Toronto's
2: going to have a 75 man roster if they sign everybody they want to sign. I was going to
1: say, isn't Toronto on every rumor? Yeah. True. Yeah. Okay. That's it? That was, it. That <laughs> that was like the end of Jamie's yeah, talk. Like, like <laughs> stopping conversations. Yes. It's, that's why I'm here. Well,
2: speaking of Toronto, then let's transition over to Austin Matthews, who is already at the, uh, the 30 goal mark, actually 31 now um, in 45 games. I believe all of us picked him to win the Rocket Richard a couple of weeks ago, right? Uh, but we should mention, David Pasternak just has 35 goals in 45 games. I mean, Pasternak is always right there. And the thing is, Ovechkin always wins this award. But Ovechkin is nine goals back of Pasternak and five back of Matthews. He's certainly capable of putting up like nine in a week. But um, that's it's starting to look like we may actually finally have a different Richard winner this year.
1: Pasta. That's all I have to say on that. <laughs> I'm glad you called in.
0: Uh- yeah, I mean, I, I, as much of a quote-unquote down year as it's been for Ovechkin with all, all of his 26 goals and 42 points in 45 still games, goals, yeah. he's still fourth.
2: Yeah. Oh, yeah. <laughs> no, it wasn't a knockout Ovechkin. It just feels like somebody else may actually win it this I, year. I think
0: if Matthew stays healthy in the way he's playing now uh, under Sheldon Keefe, that he will win it if he stays healthy.
2: I agree with you, mm-hmm. but why do we always just forget about Pasternak?
1: I don't. I actually picked him last week. Oh, did you? Your memory is incorrect, yeah. yes. Who is this again?
0: We, I think Craig and I picked him at the start of the season, but no, last week, yeah, Craig picked him. Oh,
1: okay, tonight. well, I'm going to have to edit all of this
2: out because it makes me look uh, like an idiot. Um,
1: yeah. Well, I really you thought, do what you do there. I, really, I set yeah. you up. I was going to let you go. Uh, well, you, you were silent. I, you, you Actually, you, you surprised me. That was, I didn't expect that opening. That
2: was like Phil Kessel passing the Lawson in Krause with an empty net between the two of them. <laughs>
1: Uh, Austin Matthews, by the way, is only four and a half seasons away from leaving for Arizona. Oh, yeah, so we should always true. mention that every time we discuss him. It's true.
2: Yeah, I didn't see that reason for trading Tyler Hall to uh, to keep have to have cap space for Austin Matthews when he comes here in four and a half years. But uh, uh, Logan Couture is out for a while with a fractured ankle. Yeah, it, um, it's not good. I don't think the Sharks are going to win no, the Cup the, this year. The,
1: <laughs> well, we didn't think that before, though. We
0: didn't think no, they are going to win the Cup. That's All really bold, bold of you. <laughs> <laughs> extremely bold of you buried them
2: yeah and I, I will give craig credit for this you had them buried before the season started didn't you i mean you had them in the same group with la and anaheim i did not think they were going to be that bad this year and they are that bad this year
1: i i did yes and they are that bad this year and uh they're tied with another another team that's that bad in points the chicago blackhawks who are also not going to make the playoffs this year
2: I do we have this no no goalies have scored against san jose though have they
0: No, but, you know, Martin Jones might have scored on himself a few times. (laughs) That's true. If you count Martin Jones, a
2: goalie has scored on them a lot. They don't even let him play anymore. Have you noticed this? I mean, Aaron Dell hasn't been much better, let's be honest. Uh, Igor Shosturkin... Has now played two games, I think, for the Rangers. Looked yes. good in his debut. Um, the Rangers are now carrying three goalies. I don't, what does this mean for Lundquist? They asked him the other day, and he was like, well, good for him. And then there was nothing else well, said.
0: they've been very, very careful with Lundquist's workload. And they said they were going to be coming into the season, and they have really... I mean, hes it's almost like even before this call-up, it was 55-45, where Lundquist is on the 45% side of things. They are going to give him some time, but... I mean, he'll be well-rested for the playoffs that they're not going to make.
1: Yeah, they're not making the playoffs. So it doesn't matter. <laughs> exactly what I was thinking. Though. What are they resting him for next
0: season? Which, by the way, we need to talk about a couple of things with the Rangers. One, Artemi Panarin being a beast still. Do you have the and, bell? Uh, yep. Well, yeah. <laughs> And two, how uh, I stumbled into Rangers' Twitter this morning. Don't ask me how this happened. Uh, and I would like to inform you guys that the Coyotes have lost the Auntie Ranta Derek Stepan trade uh, because Tony D'Angelo had three goals last night. Oh. <laughs>
1: yeah. Hey, Tony D'Angelo is having a nice offensive season for the Rangers.
0: Yeah, he is. And they're going to trade him.
1: He's also offensive <laughs> as a human being.
0: Yes. <laughs> they're going to trade him and Kreider. And. and-, and- not very
1: defensive.
2: No, especially for a defenseman. And how's that uh, Lea's Anderson pick working out for the Rangers? Seems like he's pretty oh, happy there, right? right. Yeah,
1: yeah. Uh, I, I like the uh, the uh, introductions at the beginning of the season. That's my most memorable moment for Lea's Anderson year when he tripped and fell.
2: <laughs> it was very symbolic of the rest of the year.
0: His career peaked when he's thro- throwing silver medals into the into the crowd,
2: like Oprah, just <laughs> yeah. giving everybody a prize. Uh, okay, let's. Um, I want to focus on the Atlantic real quick, because we all just saw Tampa Bay firsthand last night. Uh, And Boston still is leading that division. But as we've said for really two years now, winning that division matters, I think, more than any other division. Because if you don't, two of Tampa Bay, Toronto, and Boston are going to play in the first round. And I don't think Boston has that division locked up anymore. They've kind of been scuffling for a while now. And Tampa Bay hasn't lost in like three months.
1: Boston had an important win last night against Winnipeg. Because, yeah, Tampa Bay still has... Two games at hand on them. They're seven points back, which is a significant bulge. But the way they're going right now, I mean, they've won nine straight. They just put up nine goals on the Canucks, who can't wait to get out of Florida. Actually, I think they left Florida last night. But Tampa Bay looks like the team we saw last season. They are absolutely rolling right now.
2: And it started later this year, so... Uh, maybe they can only sustain it for six months. And if that's the case, then this should take them to like late May.
0: Yeah. So they have a chance that look, the, the reality is, is the loser point is keeping Boston afloat at the top of that division, because at least as bad as again, relative, as mediocre as they've been over the last couple months, they're losing all their games in overtime and in the shootout. They're 0-6 in the shootout this year. That's crazy. Uh, so, I mean, it's keeping them up there, but yeah, look, winning this t- all these teams, like it's, it's a, it's a damn shame. The three best teams in, in this conference just like we thought at the beginning of the year at least one of them has to be out in round one yeah and that sucks
2: but i mean to your point on boston a lot of loser points but they've only won six of their last 17 games dating back to december 3rd so and this run started with a loss to chicago actually um they're still they're still one of the best teams certainly but you don't want to have to play it's toronto in or t- or the first yeah well I, you know i'm just throwing out facts and, yeah. and that one jumped out at yeah. me so um, mm-hmm. Right. Uh, yeah. yeah. So there's that. Dallas. It, what they've won six in a row again. I, the stars are yeah. such an odd team, but probably not a team I want to face in the playoffs.
1: No, they're tough. They're, and this is what a lot of people saw at the beginning of the season too, and and I got to be honest, I didn't see it, and I'm still not quite there yet. I want to see them sustain this for a little longer stretch, but they've been they've been doing some wondrous things, including rallying on teams late. They've, they've had so many comeback wins, which is a nice little tool to have in your uh, back pocket, or I guess I should say in your toolbox. Oh, look at that! But this, this, I'm not ready yet to say that this is a cup contender. But they, you know, they have a lot of the elements. Their their goaltending and defense are obviously very good. I'm not sure that they have the consistent offense yet or the forward depth yet, but. We'll see how it plays out because, as we've said many times, the Western Conference sure feels wide open.
0: Uh, is this the part where I mentioned that the Avs are only four points up on a playoff spot or, <laughs> or not? Or should I say that? <laughs>
1: no, you can say it now. Okay. Okay.
2: You okay. can say it now.
0: The, the, already, the already declared stand the cup champions?
2: Yeah. They're going to have to pull their names back off the cup, I guess. Yeah. Um, uh, to this point on Dallas, they were somewhat successful even last year in the playoffs. They've got the goaltending. They've added a- pieces like Joe Pavelski specifically that are players that do show up in the playoffs. But this is their runs this year. They started off the year by losing 8 of 9. Then they promptly won 14 of, of their next 16. Then they lost 4 in a row. And then for like two weeks, they kind of went back and forth like a normal team. And now they've won 6 in a row. So if you catch them at the wrong time, you're probably going to lose to them. If you catch them at the right time, you're almost certainly going to beat them. It, it almost doesn't even matter what the other team does, as long as the other team is like league average. So I, I don't know. Playing like that will, will make you really tough in one round of the playoffs or maybe two, and then you're just going to be done in the next round if they keep this pattern up. It's it's I don't remember a team being this streaky in the last few years.
1: Yeah, I'd have to look into that. I have no idea offhand, but that, that is their uh, their identity right now. Again, there's so much hockey to be played. Maybe, maybe they're still figuring things out. Maybe this is a sign of them taking a step forward. They've, they've got some work to do to catch St. Louis in this division. and Dallas-Colorado would be one heck of a first-round series, assuming, of course, by Jamie's premise that Colorado actually makes the playoffs.
2: Yeah, which feels apparently like a big assumption right now. Um, to be clear, those are Jamie's thoughts, not mine. Edmonton. Is back in the Pacific Division race. Do we do we trust them this time around? They don't look any different, but they've won a few games.
0: We're never going to trust them.
2: That Connor McDavid goal where he tied Morgan Riley in like nine knots—unbelievable. That was absurd. I couldn't. I I just kept watching it. Like you know how they—you'll just see the replay on Twitter or something. I it was literally mesmerizing because I was trying to figure out he's not moving his feet that quickly, and and I finally after like the 73rd watch realized what makes him so good is he could be going faster and he just sort of he just sort of deceives people by going really fast when he has a gear that's like three gears faster and he just kicked right into it there and morgan riley's a pretty good defenseman and it looked like he was
1: a 5 year old he stayed tight to morgan riley so there was the you know he had the right sort of gap to be able to make a move when he wanted to and the look off i mean he was looking to pass the whole time, and there was no one there. And I think he, finally Morgan Riley's like, okay, what are you looking at? And as soon as he <laughs> did, he was around him. And then then the move when he got in on tights, scored the goal, too was equally ridiculous. That was that was one of the best goals I've ever seen. It
2: looked, I had somebody say this to me the other day, it looked like a basketball play almost, where he, he has that much control, but then remember, he's on ice skates, but it really did look like a basketball player coming down ready to dunk, and there's one defender, and he's looking to pass the whole time, but there's nobody there, like you said, Craig, and then he just goes right in, and the goalie felt almost secondary on that play, This is the Pacific Division right now. Coyotes and Vegas, 54 points. Edmonton and Calgary, 53 points. Vancouver with 50 points. The only team with a a plus, minus, and goal differential that's positive in the double digits is the Coyotes at plus 15. So I don't know what to make of this division because it's not as tough as the Metro, and it doesn't have the the high-end teams at the top like the Atlantic, but it might end up being the most compelling race because you've got five teams separated by four points.
1: No, I don't think there's any question it's going to be the most interesting race. And, uh, you know, a, a bunch of above average teams, right? It, it, we were talking about Edmonton. I mean, it's crazy where they were just a little while ago. They lost to Vancouver, lost to Calgary. Um, they went and lost to Buffalo and Buffalo to start off this road trip. Then they go in and win at Boston, win at Toronto, and you know, beating Montreal is not such a big deal. But it's a heck of a road trip after all. And you would have thought after they started off by losing in Buffalo. They're really in trouble. This team is tanking, and now they're right back in this race. Crazy race, five-team race. I don't see it changing unless Vancouver keeps giving up, you know, 14 goals every two games.
2: Yeah, they. Um, it was interesting because we've talked before how their fans probably overvalue their team more than any other team in, in – Certainly in the NHL, but then they had won seven in a row, and so they went into Tampa Bay, and I believe they were up one nothing. And you start to go on hockey Twitter, and you start to go on on Vancouver Canucks Twitter at that point, up one nothing on Tampa, and you would have thought they did win the cup that night. Yeah, and then Tampa scored six goals in like a minute and a half, and that was the end of that. Uh, I was surprised. I was surprised Vancouver didn't bounce back against Florida last night, but they um, they definitely did not. But yes, yeah, certainly five teams right there that, that are going to make the uh, the final three months of the season interesting i want to get into the coyotes here you all right over there jamie yeah okay the um this is your story that you found the uh, wall street journal story so why, just kind of explain to us the concept of this
0: yeah I, I mean look this is something that we we talked about a little bit on the pre-show and it's not so much what the content of the article was but i think the overall point that i think could be made which was there's more ways to rebuild a team than just the quote-unquote tanking and getting the top one or two player in your draft and uh, you know, the, the article kind of looked at how you know years of losing leading up to John Schaiker being named the GM, and then all the stuff we've discussed since then about him taking taking advantage of some of the inefficiencies of other teams had their cap issues, all that other stuff. But to me, the interesting point was more of there are different ways you can rebuild a team in sports, but in hockey in particular, than just okay, well, we got the number one pick in the draft. Yeah. So that that part I thought was interesting from a more from a more national take.
2: This is sort of piggybacking off that. This is one thing that. that It becomes apparent when you look around at other teams and other sports, too. To me, if I'm a Coyotes fan, one of the things I appreciate the most about this organization over the last couple years is that they were willing to think outside the box and do things differently. And maybe if you want to call them risks, I I guess it's a risk on some level, but just just the willingness to try something new and realize, hey, you know, we should have won the lottery or at least had the second pick probably in 2015 And we didn't get that pick or the second pick. Do we really want to sit here and wait around for that? We see teams in other sports. We've seen them locally that have decided that tanking is the way to go. And it doesn't work. It only works if you get that first pick and then you build around it. So I like that the Coyotes and and it's not, you know, it's not just this year. It's it's interesting because it's been different ownership groups and everybody putting this together. But the willingness to say, okay, we're in a different position. Let's let's zig when everybody else sags and it's working.
1: Yeah. And they it, look at the the economics were certainly a part of what was going on with with some of the Coyotes moves. But uh, I mean, with John Chica in particular, this, it, I, I hesitate to say that it was related in, in any way to that. It really was just Gary Drummond spotting a, a bright young mind and really wanting him to be a part of the organization. It, it's as simple as that. And where John Chica has gone from there is really his own work. He's, he's done amazing work. Um in terms of this story, I mean, there were, there were there were some problems with this story, probably, and that's probably just uh, inherent when somebody sort of parachutes in from outside and doesn't know a lot about the the topic matter. But yeah, what Jamie said I think is an interesting topic to ponder, uh, and it, it certainly worked out for the Coyotes so far. You, when you look at the way that John Chica has reallocated resources to premium positions, we saw a lot of the players that he moved out on a roster that. Quite simply, wasn't very good, and there were some expensive players. Well, he got those players out. He moved that money around to invest in in, in better pieces, uh, better positions, or more important positions. And we've seen the result this season.
2: Yeah, and, and look, it's, it's been a long time coming, but we've said this in the past, too. They they, they had a plan. Chaika, specifically, once he came in, has stuck to that plan over the last couple of years. And so if you're on the outside looking in, and we're seeing this. We're hearing it from a lot of people now that, that don't follow this team closely. They look and they say, wow, the Coyotes just got fed up with losing and decided to go all in this year. It's like, not really. That trade for Taylor Hall and the trade for Phil Kessel, those sort of fit the timeline they were already working on. It just it just so happened those guys became available as the coyotes reached a point where they could afford and also needed to go out and get scores that you know would make a difference because they're actually a playoff team now as opposed to you know 3 years ago when they were sort of starting over
0: yeah and look i, I think the the big picture idea here is is that there's a lot of different ways to rebuild a team and there's a lot of different things you can do and yes yeah, sure but a lot of teams don't think there are well i don't know if they're... It's not the easiest way. I think that's the difference. Yeah, the easiest way is just drafting a generational player typically, except for, you know, I can't seem to manage to make that ever work. Maybe they'll they'll get back to the playoffs this year for the second time with McDavid. But that's the easy way. Sure, if you find that, you know, Peyton Manning with the number one overall pick type of thing that you could turn your franchise around in a couple of years. But there are other ways to do it. The vast majority... Of really good teams in the league don't have a number one overall pick on their team that is catapulting them into the playoffs. It's it's organizational structure. It's hitting on many many draft picks over several different years worth of drafts and then developing those players really well. Sometimes it's a little lucky. Sometimes you get players that you did not expect to be as good as they were, like, let's say, Nikita Kucherov for example. Sometimes you have those things, but there are a lot of different ways to rebuild a team, and I think we are so in the sports world right now, so focused on How my bad team can get the number one pick. Like, there are teams that are. Yeah, that are hovering around 500 in the NHL that are fans like all right well let's screw this season let's just see how how good of a draft pick we can get which again just still blows my mind
2: why, why is, that? is that is that because of McDavid and Matthews and back-to-back years
0: it, it's not just that I think it's a cross-sport thing I think it's it's a little bit of that NBA syndrome that is leaking into all the sports we're seeing it in the NFL too we are seeing teams that are actually disappointed let's say the Dolphins for example yeah we are seeing fan bases disappointed that their team is showing tangible progress on the field because because it will hurt their draft position.
2: People like the idea, or I guess, the hope that comes along with having high draft picks. But the reality is, start to go through and look at that, and it's different for each sport. So you know, pick whichever sport you want to analyze and go through it, and realize, okay, yeah, if you get McDavid, although to Jamie's point, even with McDavid, Edmonton hasn't done anything. But if you get Austin Matthews, if it's it's sort of like go. a bailout, but most teams yeah. don't get that bailout. Buffalo didn't get it either. No, Buffalo got that the... That team definitely tanked. They got bailed out a few times. <laughs> that and, and team definitely tanked. And, yeah, 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 they did. And also, I mean, that says nothing for the idea that you're building a losing culture for a couple of years. Maybe you ship most of those players out and the coach or whatever, but still, you've just... Once you... Let that losing attitude into your locker room. You don't just flip a switch and say, okay, you're out. Now we got the number one pick. Like, that's one guy. You don't get ten number one picks.
0: It's extremely difficult to build a culture of winning in sports, period. Like, that is extremely difficult to do. And to forego that in your mind in an attempt to maybe get a lottery ticket. For a player, it just it doesn't it just doesn't make sense. You're better off having tangible progress. Yes, every once in a while there will be a generational talent that you say, yes, if I can add LeBron James to the Cavaliers, we can make we can take our team to instant rel- you know, relativeness. But that's in the NBA. Yeah, it's a little bit different in all these other sports. It's a little bit, a lot different in hockey. Even even McDavid's only playing 25 minutes a night. Yeah. what are do you doing the other 35 minutes? And he's been,
2: he's been as good as advertised, if not better. And the Oilers have made the playoffs once.
0: Yeah. I mean, it is it is what it is. Like like you start it's, – it's to me it, – and it's something across sports and it's really something that's been bothering me for a while. And I went on to rant about it on, on a football podcast. But it, it's just I, – I appreciate the idea that as fans, people are more aware of cap issues and prospects and development than they probably have ever been. They care about it more. But I think it has actually hurt fandom overall. People are not content – just being fans anymore, people would rather say if if I can't if this people are are willing to eschew positive steps or even maybe even a playoff appearance because they might get a player. That they like more in the draft, and I think that's a. Re- I don't think there's any been, ever a time in history where fans were like, "No, I would rather my team miss the playoffs by a few games and get in the lottery than make the playoffs and have a shot." Yes, and I we are seeing the this lottery too. all the time.
2: It's it's a lottery to get a lottery ticket, basically. Yes. That's basically what it is. Um, I, did you just use the word a shoe? I did in there. Wow, and you weren't talking about your shoes? No. Uh, I see it all the time. I mean, I'm 100% it, with so you on this. Prevalent and it's so prevalent Honestly, I think we're going to start to swing the other way because I think for the longest time, when when a, when a fan saw his team, his or her team being just terrible... But you know, but not awful enough to finish last. It just became the trendy thing to be like, Oh, I want my team to lose. Look how look how different and contrarian I am. I want my own team to lose. Now everybody does it. Yes. And everybody's been doing it for five years. So I I'm hoping at some point it swings the other way because I'm with you and I've been that way since day one. I hate that mentality where you're rooting against your own team or worse yet, the team is in the back of their mind hoping they lose because we have seen LeBron James, Connor McDavid, Austin Matthews. I can't think of anybody else across any of the sports that has been worth losing for. And even then, all the teams that try to lose, one of them got each of those. Yeah, guys.
0: and look, and it happens every once in a while, but you're also finding these guys later in the draft. Like, let's look at the 2015 draft. Yeah, just, just draft let's, well. Let's just use that for right. just an example. Okay, what have the Oilers done with McDavid? What have the Sabres done with Eichel? Coyotes and Dylan Strom. I mean, Mitch Marner was a big addition to Toronto, but I think adding John Tavares and then drafting Austin Matthews are the bigger reasons why that they're they're a cup. Yeah, if they just
2: had Marner, they would not be a playoff
0: Noah Hannafin, Pavel Zak. I mean, so you have to go down to maybe Mikko Rantanen at 10, Matthew Barzal at 16 to see why to go to this is a huge piece of these teams. And that's at 10 and 16. Yeah. Like, I just think people think, like, if you, if you don't have the number one or number two pick, that you just, it's a waste of a draft. And I, I don't understand this mentality. This is still such an inexact science.
2: You need, people need instant rewards at this point. But yeah, I would rather be the, the already good team that drafts well and adds a decent player. That's, that's obviously the recipe to success as yes. opposed to just having a terrible team and gets one guy that might be a really good player. Craig, you're are our you guys, really good uh, player. finish now? Yeah, yeah, I'm sorry. I finish now? I forgot you were okay. there. Uh, let's get to listener okay, should questions.
1: Can we get to listener questions?
2: Yeah, yeah. That's a good idea. Let's start with, <laughs> let's, <laughs> let's start with Carl. Um, is Craig. Shout out to Carl. Much, should we give
1: Carl a shout out here? I think we should give Carl a shout out here.
2: We are giving Carl a shout out right here. Carl. Carl we, Putnam. Um, yes. We're all big Carl, fans of I'm yours. Happy
1: to hear. I'm happy to hear that you're on the mend. Carl has dealt with some some tough health issues. We're not going to obviously mention all that stuff, Carl, but we're just glad to hear you're feeling better. And now Luke will read your question first.
2: Well, funny funny you bring that up, Craig, because the uh, the question is directly to you. Is Craig bringing me back some Eastern North Carolina-style slaw and boiled potatoes? That doesn't even sound good, does it? I don't want yeah, slaw. Yeah, and the mouth. answer is
1: no, Carl. Oh, okay. <laughs> that's, no. that's difficult, flat out no. That
0: doesn't sound like... That's-
1: Back to normal now, Carl. It, no, yeah, it I'm does not
0: sound like something that travels well either.
1: No, it doesn't.
2: Um, well, this one is even more egregious. Gilbert, does Jamie's back this, hurt this from always having to carry the show? No, but my stomach hurts from laughing at this question.
0: Uh, it, it, look, it's it's a burden that I, I'm... A burner com- account? Is that what you said? <laughs> it's a burden I'm comfortable taking. <laughs> okay. Uh, okay, this one's from
2: Jake. I'll just say Jake. Best memory from the road so far this season. I have my answer, and I wasn't on the road trip. So, the, the, but the Coyotes beating Washington and St. Louis back to back nights on the road—that uh, it's the most impressive thing. That it's the most impressive thing they've done on the road this season. I can't think of anything another team has done that's more impressive so far this year. Can you?
1: I uh, know. Well, I mean, if we're just talking Coyotes, uh, I would, I would definitely use that example and I would add some just some color to it because when they they came from Washington they arrived in St. Louis and the uh the the runways were all iced over we had to sit on the tarmac for a long time we basically got to bed at 4 a.m and then they went in and, and beat St. Louis and back-to-back beating the the past two defending Stanley Cup champions and there was so much there was so much color around that win as well you know Clayton Keller um getting interviewed on radio, Connor Garland, dancing out to him in skates, which was a a bizarre thing to see. Uh, I I don't think I could ever replay that. Um, That was an incredible road trip. Yeah, I would choose that as well.
0: Uh, Well, I I think I took a more literal approach here. I think Craig's favorite road memory this year is when he's looking back on the 35-minute commute home from Gila River Arena on the new freeway.
2: (laughs) Oh, look at that. Mm. I thought you were going to say that time that Craig brought Carl back some Eastern North Carolina-style slaw and and boiled potatoes. Mm, Easy for you to say. It's not easy because these don't seem like words that should go together. Carl, I think Craig's doing you a favor by not bringing those back. Los, yeah, Carl, that sounds disgusting. Los Coyotes, Steve. <laughs> Is there any frustration with Ronta in the timing of his latest injury, or does the organization take a view in hindsight that maybe they should have tried to squeeze Hill in earlier to have given Ronta enough time to recover between starts? Um, I I think I they've think handled there's frustration. this. Uh, frustration I with Ronta. frustration. Yeah.
1: Yeah. Yeah. I, I mean, and, and it's good that he's going to be starting tonight. and they, they needed him to start this game, to be honest. You need Auntie Ronta. Look, and you... You, you can say whatever you want about the injuries. Uh, I, I, he's not doing it on purpose, obviously, but there are times when you probably need a guy to maybe play through a little tweak. And this is one of those times where the Coyotes really need him in goal. You don't want to go to Ivan Prosvatov tonight. You don't want to put a guy in right now when you don't think he's NHL ready and you can't play Aiden Hill three and four. So it's a really tough situation. It's good that he's here, but they need Auntie Ronta to be dependable and, for whatever reason, whether it's the injuries or m- maybe in a couple situations, he wasn't willing to play through something, that's that's frustrating. Absolutely. And I wonder, I have to be honest, I wonder if their frustration will get to the point where, with one l- season left on his contract, they look to move him this summer.
2: It's it's a tough spot because, especially with a goalie, you don't want a goalie playing through an injury if they feel limited in their movement at all. Otherwise, they're they're useless at the NHL level. But... On the other hand, and we were talking about this a little bit off the air uh, last night, Craig and I were, we cut Jamie out of this conversation, but it's like Ronta's an outstanding backup. He would be an outstanding starter if you could just keep him on the ice, but if he's going to be your backup, if Kemper has surpassed him, which he obviously has because Kemper is one of the best starters in the league now— on some level and i i would not trade him but on some level you would almost take a goalie that's slightly not as good as Ranta that you knew you could depend on in a in a backup situation because that's what you want from your backup you want nhl caliber goaltending you know you can turn to at all times so i'm not going to blame the guy for getting hurt but it's tough when all of a sudden your number 1 goalie goes down, your number 2 goalie is great too, but then he instantly goes down and you're pulling up guys from the AHL. And Hill wasn't bad at all in the, in the win over Florida. He was really good. I don't know that anybody was going to beat Tampa the way they're playing. And if Ronte comes back tonight and he's good to go and he stays in the lineup and then Kemper comes back in a couple weeks, then Hill probably got one more start than he was going to get because he was going to start one of these games anyway. But it's just it's concerning. I mean, every Coyotes fan... Like, stomach fell out when they saw Ronta get hurt when Kemper's already out. Because then it's like, all right, this team was constructed to basically be injury proof and net. And now we're down two goalies.
0: Yeah. And look, we've all said it and we've all seen it. He is, Auntie Ronta has been everything you need him to be when he is on the ice. But. Your best ability is your availability, and if you can't be relied upon when the starter goes down for any significant stretch of time, which even if he comes back and is healthy, there's still always going to be the thought in the back of your mind for the rest of this season and next that, well, he could also go down at any time, too, if if Kemper gets hurt, that it has to be frustrating for you, but... I mean, right now, you don't really have much of a choice, but to Craig's point, it will be interesting to see that if in the last year of his deal, if he's somebody that the Cardis are willing to move in that scenario. But then again, you have to find that reliable backup that you trust just in case Kemper gets hurt again, because I don't even know what's going to be Aiden Hill next year. He might get the opportunity. Yeah, and I, but,
1: yeah, I wonder about that same thing, Jamie, too. I get, if, if they did do that in the summer, if they were to move on to Rata, I, I would wonder if they'd be comfortable with Aiden Hill as their permanent backup. I'm, I'm not sure they're there yet. So, you know, maybe maybe you're in a situation where you do, like like you were saying, Luke, you almost be willing to go and get someone who's not quite as good as Antti Ranta, but somebody you know you can depend on when your top goalie is out of the lineup.
2: It's such an inexact science, though, because no matter who you get, they could get hurt. I mean, that's, sure. that's the thing. Sure, sure. Uh, this is from Matt. Craig Button released his top affiliated prospects, and Prosvitov, Yenik, Machelli, and Soderstrom were all thirty-first or better. Hayton wasn't eligible for this list, by the way. Uh, Pradman ranked Arizona seventeenth to start the year, and collectively, you said that seemed high. If you had to rank them now, where would they fall? I would say this about the Coyotes' prospect pool right now: it's it's pretty top-heavy, but that's fine if you're a playoff team and you are in first place, to or first or second, wherever you want to put them. As long as you have two or three or four really good prospects, and I think I think you feel pretty good about at least four of the guys the coyotes have, and you figure another one or two
1: are going to emerge too.
2: That's better than a lot yeah, of teams I, that are further below them in the standings.
1: John Chaika pretty much said that you know at this point it's not about having this wave of, of players coming in. It's more about timing now with, you know, contracts of, of older guys that might be moving out or, or pieces that you need to fill in on this roster. And that's pretty much the situation they're in right now with some of these top guys that we just mentioned, that most of them played in the World Junior Championship. That's where their top prospects really are, other than the goaltenders and, and maybe Kyle Capobianco, who looks like he could be a depth defenseman, I, I guess high ceiling of like a number four guy. So uh, in terms of the ranking, uh, I got to be honest, I have no idea. First of all, you guys know how I feel about (laughs) rankings. Secondly, that would take a massive dive into every team's prospect pool. And uh, I just wasn't willing to do that today in Raleigh. Sorry.
0: Yeah, I mean, it's tough to do that because, again, I'm not anywhere near as familiar with 30 other uh, prospect pools to actually give an educated answer to that, but... I, I will say that the the Kyrie system has done nothing but take a step forward this year. I mean there's been a few guys in development, you know, Jan Yannick is is one of the guys that he was an interesting guy when we talked about him in the offseason, but is much more of a player now in their system uh, than we thought he was going to be. But they they have some guys at key positions. Again, I'm assuming we're we're not including Hayton on this this conversation anymore because it wasn't included in, in prominence. He just list. wasn't but eligible
2: for that list. Yeah. yeah.
0: But I mean Soderstrom coming up. I mean there, there's some interesting pieces, but there's also not a lot of nhl ready pieces so and and we've talked about we we've talked about that before i don't think that's necessarily a bad thing but there's it, not room for them right it's now it's just going to be no because there's not but there's going to need to be particularly on the blue line that's something they're going to have to figure out next season in my estimation because i think they're going to need to have some a little bit more account for injuries and say okay who are the couple guys that can come up because I know they've had Jordan Gross and they've had some other guys come up. But they, you're going to need better options next year when you expect to take another step forward in your progression. Yeah. You're going to need more proven options or at least better options than those guys next year.
2: Uh, dangle, snipe, belly. A couple questions here. Friendliest NHLer to interview past and present? I oh, mean, boy. Uh, uh, Shane Doan certainly is one of them. Antoine Vermette. Yeah. Is, uh, if you want to go outside the Coyotes, I would say Brent Burns. I would say Sidney Crosby, and I would say Ryan O'Reilly might be the like
1: the happiest guy to interview in the world. Yeah. Auntie Ronda's on that list, too. That's true. Super that's, happy guy. That's very true. Yeah, that, that, that's a long list. That's hard. But Christian
2: Fisher, too. I mean, the Coyotes have a lot of good interviews right now. Uh, do. I could name 10 Coyotes. Better goalie goals. That's going to be a drop. Just Craig saying, I can name 10 Coyotes. <laughs> better goalie goals. The ones scored by goalies on the opposition or the ones scored by goalies on themselves. Well, we know what mm. Martin Jones is going to vote. Well, Mike
1: for Smith falls on both categories. He does. Yes. He does.
2: Yeah, and he has uh, the
1: goalie goal, and he has butt goal.
2: Create your ideal taco shell fillings, etc.
1: That that was mm. one. <laughs> okay. First of all, let's start with the shell: hard or soft.
2: You know, honestly, it just depends on the day. Um, okay. Yeah, so it really it depends on the day and the restaurant. I would say if it's a restaurant you don't know very well, go hard shell.
1: Jamie,
0: uh, I'm I'm a soft shell. I like soft shell.
1: You are okay. A lot I'm a hard shell guy. Okay. I like the crunch. Um, right, no, the, the, pro, the problem with the with, main
0: filling. But the problem with the only problem with the hard shell is that you have to trust the structural integrity. That is the taco. true. Like, there's a lot that can go yeah, wrong. That's true. And by the way, those ones that have like the flat bottoms, they're the worst because, like, you bite into they them are. and there's like weird it angles. It just explodes. Yeah, they explode and they're like shards going to the roof <laughs> of your mouth. Like, it. it Glass it,
2: breaks down the street. It
0: creates way more problems than it solves. So, just the structural integrity of the taco is incredibly important. This is, I, let me crunch. just
2: take the a step back so good. and say this is okay. what I love about this podcast. We all have three different places we urgently need to be right now, and we're talking yes. about the structural integrity of the shell of a taco, and we're all in. Uh, filling, I would say actually beef, unless you, if you can see the ocean from where you're eating, you need Mm. to get a fish or shrimp taco.
1: Good call. Very good call on that. But what kind of beef? How do you want to tease it? I'm a, I'm a carne asada guy, but I will say I'll, I'll go pork if it's al pastor.
0: Yes. That's the only way to go pork there, but I'm, I'm, I'm good with just a good carne asada burrito but if you yeah. can't see the ocean a, a really really well seasoned and buttered lobster taco is to lobster
2: die for. taco that's to bougie i've never had a lobster yeah, taco they're to die for wow okay well we're all going to jamie's house in the hamptons after this show uh <laughs> desert doggies 96 just i'm going to run through these pretty quick he just pointed out that uh, the coyotes each year under rick Tocket have gotten progressively better which um it's a good thing to know. And
0: I think what the point was there too is that they're having shorter losing streaks, yep. longer longer positive point streaks, which is what you want to see. It's overall. I mean obviously you want to see a higher point total, but good teams and losing streaks quicker than bad teams. It I, just it's it's one of the thing indicators to look at.
2: It is remarkable enough that I have remarked to Talkit himself in the past of how well this team responds when he asks them to do something. Like if he comes out after the game tonight and is like, "I would like the, uh, I'd like my guys to win the Stanley Cup tomorrow." Okay, well that's a little bit different. But when he comes out, whether it's publicly or even behind closed doors, with one or two specific things he wants fixed, it seems like they generally fix them within a couple of days.
1: I would agree with that. Yeah, that's, that's one of the characteristics of this team is how resilient is it. It keeps bouncing back from these losing streaks, bouncing back from like this last patch where they lost three in a row. I was like, okay, we're you know we're into that sort of second third of the season where the games ratchet up a little bit in intensity, and the Coyotes aren't keeping pace, but then they bounce back with a four game win streak. They they just keep responding.
2: Uh, okay, a couple more of these real quick. A lot of them are goalie goal related. Domsky, which goal was better, Mike Smith's or Pekarines? Mike Smiths. Yeah, yeah. I, I, w- I would say Smith was. Smiths was against Detroit. Detroit yeah. Okay. And it was like. Yeah. In and the they had to review second. it. Yeah. Yeah. It was
1: uh, one tenth of a second left on the clock. Was, you didn't even know if it was going to count.
2: That was pretty dramatic. Um, Booper, Which goalie on the roster has the best chance at scoring a goal? My money's on Kemper. Yeah, because he plays more. But if Prosvitov ever played and scored, he he does cartwheels after wins. I can't imagine what he'd do if he scored.
1: We know how far he can uh, bat a puck too. That's true. Yeah. Deep into the stands
2: uh ozzy just ozzy mentions what columbus did last year and the fact that they are now still hanging around in the playoff picture ahead of new york and nashville and uh up until yesterday we're ahead of florida as well we'll probably talk more about columbus in the coming weeks if they are able to keep this going that division is so tough to hang around in the playoff race but i'm impressed by what john tortorella has done this year i mean if they if that team sneaks into the playoffs he has to get coach of the year consideration absolutely And he'll probably get fined during his uh, acceptance
1: speech. (laughs) Exactly. I wanted to add that part because I loved what he said after that Blackhawk game. Yeah, it was pretty great. That was vintage Tortorella.
2: Uh, Jay, is this a deeper Coyotes team than the 11-12 team?
1: Yes, this is the deepest team I've covered. (sighs) Yeah,
2: I would say so.
0: Yeah, I agree. I agree with that, too. I mean, look at the forwards. Look at the forwards. The 11-12 team, I know they went further, but that wasn't, I mean, that's, I mean, even if, if we just started off at the Tippett, the very first year under Tippett, that's maybe, to now, that's maybe the fourth best Coyotes team.
2: Yeah, Tippett's first year, I mean, that statistically was their best team. Yes. They put up 107 points. It was the best Coyotes team ever. Um, but yeah, especially if you're talking about depth. I mean, the 11-12 team, everybody knew their job, and Tippett was good at, at putting them into very specific roles, but... Uh, there's not a lot of players when when this year's Coyotes team is healthy that I look at in the lineup, and I'm like, oh, I wish he wasn't in the lineup tonight, or I don't really trust him. Everybody, they, Michael Grabner hasn't been able to get back in the lineup, but he didn't really do anything wrong.
0: And look, there's yeah. st- there's still room for some of these guys to grow. You still haven't gotten you've gotten good Taylor Hall, but not the best of Taylor Hall. You've gotten fine and a little bit more improving Phil Castle, but not the best of Phil Castle. There's still room for the guys on this roster to give you more than they have already.
1: Yeah, that team in 11-12, I mean, I like the blue line. It was constructed differently than this one. It was sort of like the end of that area where you could have a big, heavy blue line and still succeed. Uh, they're obviously deeper in goal. They did. I mean, when you look at the two goalies that they have in tandem this year, I mean, Mike Smith was incredible the second half of that season in the postseason, but Darcy Kemper's a Vizina trophy candidate. Dante Ranta is arguably the best backup in the league. So you've got better stuff in goal, and then when you look at the forwards, I mean, again... Martin Hansel was their number 1 center. Yeah. <laughs> so uh I I love Marty but he, you know he had a place in the lineup and it was it was not there.
0: It's uh it's, And there was a was a drop off after that 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 top line too without with Whitney and Verbotta besides them on yeah. the wings there was there was not a there was not the same threat that they have in the middle six now.
2: Yeah, they were very they were very dependent on certain players to produce and they did that year but I mean there was um, I mean, I'm looking at their, their roster from that year as just sort of a reminder. And You've got, like, Boyd Gordon and Gilbert Brulé, and you had guys that could— Gordon was great in the face-off circle, yeah. but he wasn't going to get you a whole lot of goals. I mean, I don't know. Lori Korpakoski, like, I, I do I do like this, the way this team is constructed better, but it's hard to argue with their results, certainly, in 2012. That was certainly the most fun uh, season of being around or covering or being a fan of the Coyotes, for sure.
0: That one over in nine ten. I know it went longer. But I felt like the 9 10 team was a little bit more exciting because it was so unexpected with everything that happened in the preseason and then just being way better than anybody thought. I, the
2: reason I would give the nod to the 11-12 team is just locally we saw a bunch of sports fans that aren't Coyotes fans get fully invested. And, and then the next time we saw them get that invested, because remember there was a lockout the next year, so mm-hmm. we couldn't build off that, was the uh, McDavid draft. and or The draft lottery, I should say, not the actual draft, but the lottery. Um so yeah, I, w- I would say so. Just because this whole city was captivated by that run, and if not for Dustin Penner and a couple other players in the Kings, they probably would have won the Cup that year. Yeah. Okay. Last one here is from Roberts. Uh, it's a it's a lengthy question, but basically it hinges on how how does this team react to that loss against the Lightning last night? Do you just sort of throw that away because Tampa Bay is on a tear, or do you take something from that?
1: I don't think you throw it away because you know, I think if you listen to the, the, the reaction of the players and the coaches, it you know, Tampa's obviously on a roll, yes, but I don't think the Coyotes really played that great a game last year. I thought uh, last night they were they were pretty good through the first period, most of the first period. Then uh, the first goal on Aiden Hill was not a good goal, um, so that puts you in a little bit of a hole, but if you get out of that period down one nothing, you're probably still feeling okay. Then they get a lucky bounce off Jordan Osterley's leg, and it's 2 nothing. After the first period, you're you're in a tough situation. Then in Tampa against a team that's rolling, has won eight straight. I just don't think that they played very well over those second two periods. And, and chasing the games part of that, they just they were sloppy. They didn't bring their A game last night. So I would expect them to respond better. I, I think sometimes back to backs tend to get overblown in terms of a team's fatigue level. I think they'll be fine tonight. But again, they're playing a good team, and they're on the road. So we'll, we'll see if they, they keep doing what they've been doing all season and bouncing back from that.
2: All right, that game's starting in like four hours, so we're going to wrap this up. Uh, Craig, thanks for calling in and giving us all that wonderful insight and not bringing us any food like Jamie did, who's now my new favorite co-host. Have a good uh, rest of the trip. That's how we're ending this, huh? Yeah, that's how Apparently. we're ending this. All right, so for Craig Morgan and Jamie Eisner, I'm Luke Lipinski. Thanks for listening to the Natural Hattrick Podcast.
0: We had cinnamon rolls today.